Hi, this is Elliot Fisherman, and I'd like to welcome you to our online vodcast review of the June 2006 CTSS quiz. As you know, for probably five plus years now, we've had a quiz on CTSS. We give prizes, we've given away cars, we've given away airplanes, we've given away vacations, but usually we give away CDs. And we always post the answers at the end of the month. And one of the things people have always requested from us and we've not always been able to do is the timely explanation of why the cases are what they are. So we decided to do is do it as vodcast. So every month when we uh, post the results of the quiz, we'll also post a vodcast, which will discuss exactly why we thought that was the question and why that was the answer. Again, you know the rules. We post 10 cases. It's multiple choice cases. I try not to find the cases that are impossible. I try to show really practical things where we like to make a point. So let's look at the first case for June. And the question was regarding the left renal vein in this patient with renal cell carcinoma, which of the following could we conclude? So let's look at the case. And you can see it's a CT angiogram, very nicely showing you a large hypervascular, roughly eight to nine centimeter left renal mass. And as the question says, this is classic for renal cell carcinoma. Vascular renal masses, you can see metastasis at times, you can see angiomyolipomas, you can see AV malformations. But this is a mass, and it's not going to be a transitional cell, and it's not going to be lymphoma. When you look carefully medially, you can see that the mass is extending into the left renal vein. And very classic, when the thrombus is vascular like this, it means this tumor extension. You can see it on this next set of images. They're not quite as well. It's a little different projection, and in fact, it's a MIP image. So what we see very nicely looking at these two images literally is the uh, solid renal mass, hypervascular, involving renal vein. And so when you look at the questions, which is the uh, best answer, not very difficult. The question thrombus versus uh, being bland versus tumor, Again, the reason it's tumor, it's because it's vascular. If it was hypovascular, then you might think it could be bland thrombus and not necessarily tumor. We also comment on flow changes at times within vessels, but this obviously was not a flow-related change, which at times you do see in the renal vein, but was obviously tumor. So B was the correct answer. The next case, not a very difficult one, and the question was, what's the best diagnosis in this case? And I chose this case in part because I thought it was a very nice set of images. And you can see in this example, look at both femurs. The necks are wide and there's tremendous remodeling. And look at the multiple projections of the area of the greater and lesser trochanter. Also look at the iliac crest. On the right side, the left iliac crest, in fact, have been previously removed for a large exostosis. And this patient has multiple bony outgrowths, and that's a very classic appearance for multiple hereditary exostoses. Again, key findings in this example are also the remodeling of the femurs. Remember, in patients who have uh, multiple hereditary exostoses, one of the important things to recognize is they can become very large and painful and maybe need to be removed surgically because of cosmetic reasons or because of pain, but these also can become malignant. So in this case, the best answer was C, multiple hereditary exostoses. Let's move then to the third case. As I mentioned, I would like to show a bunch of cardiac cases, and in this case, really I'm focusing on what is the dominant circulation. 
And what does that mean? Well, that means where does the patient's posterior coronary artery come from? Does it come from the typical right coronary, 85% of the time, or 5 to 10% from the left circumflex, or that 5% of the time does it come from both vessels? So let's look at this set of images, and you can see very nicely that the patient's uh, right coronary artery on this view of the bottom of the heart gives rise to the posterior coronary artery. And this is a case where the correct answer is number uh, A, the patient has a right dominant circulation. So it's important to recognize that. Uh, again, it's something that is important, particularly in planning sometimes surgery. If the right coronary is not dominant and there is a mild stenosis, uh, surgeons may put off doing the absolute procedure. So again, something uh, to think about. Okay, let's stick with another case. Let's go with another cardiac case. This will be case four. And I asked you what's the best diagnosis of this case. And you can see from the uh, choices, it's going to be something that relates to an aneurysm or pseudoaneurysm or dissection. And here's the images. This was a great case. It was a patient, I think 40-ish, atypical chest pain. You can very nicely see this pseudoaneurysm and you try to figure out where it is and you recognize it's really in the course of the circumflex coronary artery and this is a aneurysm or pseudoaneurysm of the uh, circumflex coronary artery that's very rare typically treated at times by stenting at times by surgery obviously this could rupture uh, aneurysms of the coronary artery are very rare aneurysmal dilatation you think about takayashus you think about different vasculites you think about trauma, particularly iatrogenic at surgery time, for example. So this is indeed a very, very unusual case, but it's a great example. Let's do another case on cardiac, and this will be case five. And in this case, I ask you, there's an atrial mass, and I ask you what it is. Well, again, atrial masses, I've given you the most common reasons for atrial masses. Myxoma is the one we always think about. Lipomas are rare, but do occur. Angiosarcoma is the primary malignancy you think about, and metastasis are probably more common than primary tumors. And here you can see very nicely within the atrium this filling defect, posterior wall, it's not a thrombus, it's low density, and the coronal display you really recognize it in fact better. It's a very much fatty tumor near where the IVC enters the right atrium. This is a classic lipoma. They're benign tumors. At times, they can cause symptoms. They can cause obstruction. They can cause changes that relate to arrhythmias. At times, they will have to be resected. But this is a very nice example of an atrial mass, which was in a uh, myxoma of the atrium. Okay, let's go on and leave the heart for a bit. And let's look at another lesion. And this is a case of a 19-year-old who has an obvious mass in the chest. And you can see from these two projections, from a 3D volume rendering as well as from a coronal display, well-defined mass, fairly homogeneous, sharp margins abutting the pleural surface. And of course you go through things like tumor, be it metastasis in a 19-year-old, which would be more common probably than a primary tumor, and germ cell could be a thought or melanoma. But when you look at the list I gave you, this is a very important possibility, and that's a pseudotumor from trauma, this patient had had trauma when you look carefully it is a bit high density it's resolving so in patients with chest trauma 
pulmonary contusion, you can see pseudotumors. So it's something indeed very, very important to think about. And that's a great case, and hopefully you all made the right diagnosis. Another case, here's a chest case, sort of cardiac as well. And I asked you, what is the anomaly in this case? This was a patient presented with metastinal widening. Very, very nice example. And I mentioned a number of things, and let's look at some of the possibilities. Here, you look at this set of images. You look at the main pulmonary trunk and right pulmonary trunk, and then left main pulmonary trunk. You kind of notice something has to be a bit off. And when you look at it a little bit more carefully, and you look at this image, you recognize the pulmonary artery on the left is going to in between the trachea and esophagus being displaced and between trachea and aorta it's posterior and it's really arising off the patient's right pulmonary artery and this is the classic diagnosis of a uh, pulmonary sling again and I guess one could say it's an anomalous vessel but it's a pulmonary sling very classic at times it can create symptoms, most of the time it's asymptomatic, it's just the patients present, as this case did, with a widened mediastinum. Speaking about widened mediastinum, I thought I would throw you a second example of widened mediastinum, which we see in this case, and you can see from the possible choices, we're focusing on the esophagus, and we see a big time dilated esophagus, you see lots of food matter in the esophagus, what are we dealing with? Well, you could say a stricture, and in fact it's true. You could say carcinoma, that's a possibility. But I will tell you, you follow it down, you'll see at the EG junction there's some narrowing, no large mass. And when you see this much food in place and you see the thickening, this really, you should make the diagnosis of achalasia. Achalasia, increased incidence of carcinoma, aspiration pneumonia, other complications, very classic massively dilated esophagus down to the EG junction. So it's a great case. And since I spoke about achalasia and I'm in the mediastinum, let me show you another case kind of uh, pretty close by. And this is a patient where the, there is a mass adjacent to the heart, inseparable from the heart, and I asked you what its possibilities were. And cystic lesions around the heart, these are all definite possibilities. Sequestration typically is posterior, so that would be less likely. But uh, if you look at this case, water density against the pericardium inseparable from the pericardium you should be thinking about the possibilities we listed think about duplication cyst bronchogenic cyst pericardial cyst and this is very much a classic location for pericardial cyst bronchogenic cyst esophageal duplication cysts are typically more posterior uh, this is just so far anterior it's going to have to be the diagnosis of a uh, pericardial cyst Okay, let's look at another case. And this is one of the classic cases. I think you see this more often when you take oral boards. And I know everyone's taking oral boards now, so I threw this case in. Um, what is the diagnosis in this patient? And you can see the choices. So you kind of know what you're going to be dealing with. Multiple cysts in the lung fields. The cysts are thin-walled, well-defined. There's no real inflammatory process involving the cysts. And so it's not the appearance of emphysema. It really is the appearance of lymphangioliomyomatosis. You could think about a number of other things. Infections give you cysts, but not such a very nice, smooth pattern. You could think about tuberous sclerosis. Um, again, there are a number of things to think about, but this is a classic case of LAM. So again, if you got that answer correct, you did a good job. 
Let me show you uh, our ninth case, and this is a patient who's post-Whipple's procedure, and we do a lot of patients post-Whipple's procedure. Sometimes you're looking for complications, sometimes you're looking for a current tumor, and this one, the patient uh, was being routinely evaluated, and look at the antrum. You see how thick the antrum is near its anastomosis? Again, you might think about tumor, but it's rare to get tumor recurrence at that site. So what exactly is going on? Well, we all know that in patients who have pancreatic cancer and Whipple's procedure, routinely they get radiation therapy, and radiation can involve bowel, be it small bowel or large bowel, or involve the stomach, particularly after surgery where the bowel loops or stomach are kind of fixed and they're in the radiation fields. You can get radiation enteritis, or in this case, a very nice example of radiation enteritis. At times, thickening due to radiation can simulate tumor recurrence, so it's an important uh, differential diagnosis. And now for our last case, this is kind of a cool case, and of course, this never happens at your institution. In fact, it didn't happen in Hopkins either. This was a patient referred in for pelvic pain, and we found this mass in the pelvis, and I asked the question, what is it? And you can see from the 3D on your left or the 2D on your right, it's high density, it's very well defined, it's kind of, uh, kind of wavy, it's not bowel, it's not an implant. It basically is something that should not be there. And in this case, I guess you can consider it a retained drain. It's not a calcified mass and it surely ain't normal. That's a classic example of one of the varieties of retained sponges or retained towels. So that's 10 questions. Hopefully you got them all right, and hopefully you're our big winner. If not, hopefully this discussion helped you along. And with that, I'll see you next month.